welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I'm Abby Mickey, and I am once again joined by Lauren Rennie. Lauren, how's the weather? <laughs> it's actually sunny and beautiful because it wouldn't be the Freewheeling Podcast without a bit of Belgian weather update. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sad because the riders just left to head to Italy and now actually the weather is turning. And next week will be a beautiful week for Ghent Wolverham. Yeah, this is when the weather chat that people so lovingly tell us to please leave out of the podcast becomes actually a relevant conversation because the weather and Belgian racing is super relevant. It's a huge, huge factor. And it was shocking this past week. So it really affected some of the riders. And then, of course, the duchies um, always prevail in these really tough conditions. So it suits them. And um, yeah. And... On the other side, we have Amy Jones. Amy, welcome back. Hello. Thank you. Do you want the weather update for Girona as well? Or? <laughs> <laughs> is it super like it's super dark and cloudy and gross outside right now? Yeah, it is actually. You swapped with us, Lauren. Yeah, I'm loving it. You're wearing a turtleneck. This is great. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> Someday when we all can podcast together, hopefully we have nice weather, maybe a little bit of rosé, and we can Ooh. sit outside and sit in the sun and podcast i'd love that, that and i'm dreamy. like envisioning us sitting at the women's tour drinking tea mm. hopefully in the <laughs> that would be really nice yes oh all right let's get into the episode but before we dive into all the news we have our own news freewheeling podcast news we teased it a little bit a couple weeks ago but it is actually a thing now starting this week we are a weekly podcast it's official so (laughs) everyone who has been listening to the podcast for the last year and has given us such great feedback and continued to grow this space thank you so much for for i don't know just caring about what we have to say and it's because of you guys that we are able to now work more do more talk more about women's racing we can one the first thing on our list of things to talk about is strata which was two weeks ago but obviously we had last week off so we couldn't chat about it and that will no longer be a thing anymore so great news which is awesome so we'll be completely up to date and you get to listen to our voices every single week you don't (laughs) have to go back and listen to old episodes just because we've been gone for a week and it also means that people are listening to what we're saying because can we start with the bike exchange minimum wage thing yeah because that's like obviously something we harp on about and this is a really cool thing to see yeah, so we talk a lot about Trek Segafredo and how at the beginning of this season they announced that they were mandating their own minimum wage. So all of their riders were getting paid the minimum of the men, um, so the men's equivalent. And Bike Exchange has now joined them and will also be paying all of their women women the men's minimum wage in instead of the UCI's minimum wage, which is a huge deal and is really, really exciting. And we, we talked a little bit about maybe there's a, there's a little bit of a drawback to this in that teams can't keep up. But I think for us on this podcast, I mean, I can't speak for all of all three of us, but I'm pretty sure we're all kind of like, this is not a bad thing in any way. Mm -hmm. And I think again, it's going back to, um, a lot of the, the men's teams have stepped up. And we're seeing lots more women's teams associated with men's teams. And I 
think like, you know, Bike Exchanges has had a women's team from the get-go in 2012. So it was about time that this came out. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to applaud them for doing that. And I'm just curious to see who steps up next. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously it, it's a really great thing that these teams are doing. And I think it's an interesting one because I think with the teams that have also got a men's team, as well there's kind of no excuse mm-hmm. um because if they're paying the men well above that already then obviously they can afford to do that for the women's side as well it's the same sponsors same team um it's interesting when you get onto like yeah I guess like standalone women's teams like SD works and that kind of thing um as to whether like how that affect how that would affect them financially I mean obviously I don't know the details but yeah it's something to be applauded for sure Yeah, it's hard to know budgets, right? Because we've discussed Mm. before money is just in general in life, a pretty tricky conversation to have. Um, But I do think like teams like Canyon Shram and Bowls for sure are well supported. Um, Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily need a men's team equivalent to be like, we're matching the men's minimum salary because that's just a number the UCI puts forward. It's not something that has anything to do with the teams. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be more interesting when it comes to the teams that are like, like FDJ, for example, FDJ, Nubella, Aquitaine, Futuroscope is not actually affiliated with the men's team at all um, and is their own situation, but does have a lot of the same sponsors. So that's one that I think will be interesting to watch in the future. They are really forward thinking as far as paying their women enough to be able to have, have stability. Um, the, when I talked with Stefan a couple episodes ago, he really harped on about having them being able to buy apartments. Um, Mm. (laughs) something he said. And we saw Amelia Fallon just bought an apartment in Sweden. So yeah, there is truth to that people. (laughs) All right, moving on, Strata. I, th- I don't know like how much we want to talk about Strata since it was two weeks ago, but I think that something that we can we can kind of tie in with Strata and also the Healthy Aging Tour that happened last week and the also the classics, that the, the one-day races that happened over the week, is that SD Works is just so good right now. Yeah, it's, it's like we flash back to 2017. Yeah. Um, and they're that dominant team again. Um, that, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about it, actually. It's just, it's, it's amazing how it's all come together and they're just working so well as a team. And again, I think we, we've discussed this before, how it's really shared around. Yeah, I mean, they've won five races this season with five different riders. I have to say, Abby, just a little kudos. You're pronouncing all the... All the foreign words really well today. Oh, thank you. Just <laughs> rolling off the tongue. You been practicing? No. Yeah. What was that midweek? What was that midweek race called? The one day? Nope. Nope. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. You'll forget Lauren. Pronunciations. <laughs> oh, I should be able to do it. I just um. No corre corso or something, right? Yeah. That we'll, one. We'll go with that. Moving on. <laughs> SD Works is like, they're so good right now. And it's, it's really fascinating because they did 
they were so dominant back when like Lizzie Dagnan was on the team, Megan Garnier. Um, and then there was this swing where teams started to catch up and they started to not win as much. And like last year, I think we can all agree that while Anna Vandenbregen was incredibly impressive and on a meek, Trek Segafredo came out of the season as the team to beat. And now SD works is absolutely wiping the floor with everybody. Like, Everybody just looks like they they never have ridden bikes before with SD Works like rolling around <laughs> with like <laughs> the way that they raced the final stage of the Healthy Aging Tour, which was such an incredible bike race. I, I just yes. highly recommend anyone who hasn't watched it go check it out on YouTube because the weather was horrendous, but the way that those girls raced was so impressive. And Ellen Van Dyke being able to hold onto the yellow jersey by six seconds was insane. Um, but the way that SD works, like literally at one point, just traded riders in the break was crazy. <laughs> and Lonica Unikin, she was, she was really impressive and is like kind of added to this list of the younger riders that SD works is picking up that are really going to benefit from having Anna Vandenbregen and Chantel Vanderbrook Black as their directors next year. So, mm, yeah. yeah. They have done a brilliant job of developing their young riders over the years. If we think of Amelie Didrikson and Yip Van Boss. So, um, yeah, that was really cool to see a young rider. I think she's only 21 years old, if I'm correct, or is she younger than that? Yonaga? She might even be younger, 20. Um, get such a huge win in an impressive, impressive win, the way that she won that race. So She just turned 21 like two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. So again, the emerging of these young riders that were seen um, and second place for the day as well, another young rider. Yeah. It's interesting with SD Works dominance because it's not as if they've got like all the best riders in the same team, like in the entire peloton, like it all, like everyone was saying before this season started, like, the talent within the women's peloton spread out across lots of teams, but it's just the way they bring it together. And it's so impressive. Yeah. Cause other teams have just as strong of rosters. If you kind of break it down to the names yeah. and the numbers, but something about the way that they race and also the fact that they are so dominant with so many different riders, because even Trek last year, they were really dominant with Lizzie and Aliza, but the other riders really were put into domestique roles and, and those two were the only two that really won races. But with SD works, it's just every single one of them can, can win, win the on race. the day. Yeah. 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 Which is an incredible position to be in that you show up on the day and it's like, well, this race can go any which ways. And actually one of our riders could win today. Um, it's a very privileged position to be in. And again, um, we are in these races at the moment, again, that do suit that team to a T. Um, I was super impressed with the win with Chantal Black um, Vanderbroek at um, Strada Bianchi because, you know, we always pick the same riders for that race, right? Would you have ever thrown her name in there? Like, she can do it, of course. She's an incredible athlete. But typically when we think of Strada Bianchi, we're not thinking of someone like Chantal. No, and like so Amy and I were texting her. while the race was going on and both of us were like, oh, the race is over. Like, Aliza has it. Yeah. 
yeah I mean on paper that's what it would look like if you said Elisa Longo-Borghini and Chantal van der are going to be on the last climb together you'd be like okay Elisa's got this yeah but yeah but she was so clever like she just made her she made Elisa like she sat on her wheel the whole way to the line and then just went um yeah that's bike racing right yeah exactly yeah god Strada Bianchi feels like a hundred years ago (laughs) Yes, so we can move on from that, but it was just... We can we can tie Estrada was... into something that's interesting about Trofea Alfreda Binda, which is the next Women's World Tour race that happens over the weekend, this weekend, um, and is my one of my absolute favorite races that I ever got to do. And uh, pretty much everybody I, I'm friends with within the Peloton absolutely loves this race. But something that happened at Strada that was really interesting to me was when Annemiek Van Vluten oh. went off the front with Mariana Voss and didn't stay away which like when when would we, when have we ever seen that happen never <laughs> like not uh, not in the last 5 years and she's actually sitting out to Alfreda Benda which I wouldn't really say is shocking in a normal year because I think that it's one of the it's a world tour race but it's one of the smaller ones it's not really as high caliber and Anamik does really like doing altitude blocks and takes the training blocks really seriously where she targets, she skips certain races very specifically to tr- target other races. And with the like Flanders and Paris-Roubaix and everything, I think that she would be more, more keen to show some form there. But with the like extremely reduced calendar we have i'm shocked that she would miss any race and miss any opportunity to race i think you know anamique um she's a very seasoned rider she's very calculated based off last year um with her injuries and everything and then going into this year for her that one big goal is the olympics i think for for everything this year that that is it that's the big box to tick She's won a lot of races, a lot of these top-tier races. Has she won Flanders? I could see her having a red-hot crack at Flanders, but I still think that Team Bike Exchange, uh, sorry, Movie Star also has a couple of cards to play there. But my gut feeling is that she's got a plan in place that is going to have her flying for the Olympics because she did the same thing in 2016. She was super strong leading up to the Olympics. Nothing overly impressive and then she came out and you know we know what happened but she had an incredible day on that road race yeah and I'm assuming she she will be going for the time trial that's just my my thought on it yeah so Annemiek Van Vluten she won Flanders in 2011 so like quite a quite a while it's a long time ago yeah so. And since then, she's like completely changed what kind of rider she is, right? As Indeed, well, like. her whole body shape has changed. Yeah, she, and yeah, yeah. Looking back at all the old results of races is so fascinating. Like twenty two thousand nine, <laughs> Ina to Ina Tutenberg won Flanders. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Who's excited? Very. Well- Love that race as well to watch it, not to to compete in it. What? Why um, did you racing I, it? Because I got thrown in in it. It's a beautiful race to watch. I really um, enjoy it. Um, but yeah, from my point of view, from my style of riding, not awesome. Um, 
I know who your favorite is for the day. Do you? Abby. Well, oh. who, who, who we two writers you would love to see win? Okay, hit me with it. Cassia or Elisa? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I think um, just the way that SD Works is riding right now, I would love to see Demi Bollering take her first world tour win. Yeah, yeah, I support that. The another rider that I would be really happy to see win is actually Cecily Utrip Ludwig, who has been so close to winning a world tour race and has has never quite gotten there. Um, she's been on the podium like a bajillion times, and she's been third at Trofeo Alfredo Binda twice, but has not has not won a huge race like this yet. And so, actually, those are probably my two picks for this. This is such an interesting race because it's like. When you look at the profile, there's so much climbing, but it has come down to a sprint. Like Corinne Rivera won this race in 2017. It's it's just the way this race plays out is so fascinating because the climbs in the beginning don't quite factor into the race other than just making people a little bit more tired and maybe eliminating some of your teammates. And when I wrote the preview for this race, I think that one of the things that is going to play a huge role is which teams can kind of save their their riders until the end of the race. Because we've seen so far that what SC Works has above everyone else is the fact that there's five of them there at the end. The numbers. Yeah. And so what, what teams need to do is have those riders, which is something that at Strata, you rarely see a race where you can point to it and be like, this is a race where if Lizzie Dagnan had been here, it would have been a different situation. Like you can rarely point to a race and be like one rider could have made a difference in this race. But I feel like Strada is one of those situations and going into Binda, I think especially for Trek, I mean, they have Ruth Winder back now. She's back in Europe, although she flew in yesterday. So it'll be interesting to see how the jet lag, uh, if the jet lag factors in, I mean, she's a professional, so I doubt that it's going to be a problem, but I know for me, like, I would always have to fly in a week early because jet lag is just murdering. <laughs> that word? Anyway. I I think she'll, she'll probably, I mean, she's Ruth. She'll factor into the race for sure. But, I mean, if you're flying in only a few days before from the U.S., then she's probably got other things on the agenda too. Um, I don't know this. I'm just speaking. No, I mean, yeah. she's like on a meek. Like, her big target is the Olympics. So being on form right now exactly. is not of huge concern, but I mean, Lizzie's back in the race tomorrow or on Sunday. So we'll see how she's doing after she was sick, um, for Strada. It's been two weeks. So I, I feel like she'll be okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be such a numbers game now with the way the SD works is riding. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see if Lizzie is back to like full health um the her combination with Elisa again and maybe with Ruth in the mix too at the end they could end up making a difference to that SD works dominance maybe mm-hmm. yeah I think another team that is going to be really fascinating to watch is going to be Yumbo Visma because we've not really seen them much in the races yet and like Mariana Voss was there in Strada but just barely Um, I mean, she finished in the top 10, so it wasn't a bad ride by any means, but she's won Binda four times before. Like, this race suits her so well, and I think that the there's a couple riders on that team that I could see still being there in the end, 
But, I mean, it's just no team is as strong as ST Works right now. Uh, it It's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, it's just a fact at the moment that it's it's gelling. They're obviously all on form, like everyone is on form, um, and they have multiple cards to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and but like you said, with this race, it can go any which way, um, and hugely depends on the weather too. I'm not sure what's going to be happening in Italy on that day, but we've seen weather play a huge factor in the results of that race. The one that does come to mind is the year that that Cassia won. Um, that was one of the best bike races I've ever seen. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, I also really enjoyed 2017 when Corinne won because I was just like, what? A sprinter just won Trofeo Binder? Like, what's happened? But she was climbing like a boss that year and then went on to win Flanders. So 52, 52 Fahrenheit. So I don't know what that is in Celsius. Oh God, what's that in English? <laughs> That's not. It's not very cold, but it it is sunny. Oh, it's sunny. Well, if there's no rain, that's eleven degrees. That's fine. Yeah, eleven degrees. Eleven degrees and sunny. So it's it won't be a cache year, but yeah, that year was just such a great year. I remember her post race interview. She was like, "I'm so cold, but I'm happy." <laughs> Oh, this is like the last stage of healthy aging tour. I was just, I was cold watching that when they were all like having to warm up with like cups of tea at the end. I was like, oh my God. When I was a ski racer, you finish a ski race and they would hand you hot Gatorade because it was like so cold and they had Gatorade and they'd like heat. It was bad. It was really (laughs) (laughs) things I don't miss. Awful. (laughs) Sounds great for your teeth. So should we make picks for Trofeo Alfredo Binda? I mean, I guess I already made my picks, but Amy, what's your what's your pick? Ooh. Go for a dark horse. <laughs> well, I guess yeah. I mean, a dark horse, not so much. Um, but I think I think Cecilia Ochoa-Ludwig is a good shout. Um, I think you can do like a head and heart one. I guess like Cassia, like it would be great to see her win again, just because she won in such great style a few years ago. Um, but looking past SD Works as well, just to try and go a little bit outside the box, I think, yeah, Sile, maybe. Oh, oh that's a hard one. Um, it just, yeah, it depends on how it's going to finish. That's the hardest part about this, this race. Like with other races going, oh, well, you know, the race is going to go here and I know this rider can can do that kind of effort. Um, yeah. You almost have to break it up into, like, take each team. This is kind of what I did with the, with the preview on cyclingtips.com. What a great website, if anybody wants to check that out. <laughs> but kind of what I what I was thinking when I made it is like breaking up each team by a rider who can climb, but also do like a long range attack and a sprinter that can take on kind of a a reduced group with an uphill drag. So like for Canyon Stram, I, my two picks for that team would be Kasha long range attack slash climber and Hannah Barnes for an Mm -hmm. uphill sprint. Um, and like, there's some teams that one rider fits both molds. 
Um, like I would say, I mean, Cecily's been third in the sprint. Well, quote unquote sprint, um, <laughs> in this race twice. And, but also like Marta Cavalli, it would yeah. be a really good sprinter in this type of finish and has already shown that she's on great form at Strada, um, and at Omloop really. So like for, F- for FDJ, you could say like Cecily for the long range attack slash climbing and like Marta Cavalli for the sprint. Which is what makes this race like just so exciting because you just never know. Lots of Kopecky's on the start list for the Belgian race. Oh man, how often is it that we have like two yeah. like high caliber women's bike races on the same day? It's not really that often. We don't have the Pere Roubaix Torino Adriatico crossover. <laughs> Perry Nice. Sorry, Perry Nice. Yeah, Perry I, I was like, what? <laughs> no. It's true. But is that a good thing? No, yes, it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, for one, yeah. The, all of these conversations about cycling and how cycling would be more exciting if there was more of a linear storyline throughout the season. You have these teams with yeah. so many riders, like 30 plus riders that you can't even really keep track of who's on what teams. You can't keep track of the races because there's too many races. And one of the reasons that women's racing is so awesome is because the teams are like 12 people and there's not as many races. And so it's super easy to keep track of all of the riders and keep track of all of the racing and like really get invested in it. Yeah. And also our calendar, I think in general is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but female cyclists seem to be more generalists. They can do everything. Yeah, we don't, they don't need like, pure sprinters that only go to flat races and pure climbers that only go to grand tours because well we don't have either of those things so it doesn't well i mean our sprinters like lots of kopecky i would have pigeonholed her a few years ago but man how she climbed last year in dura rosa she was up there in those league groups Mm -hmm. and then finishing it off so marion voss used to be 10 years or more ago the only rider who could really do that yeah and we multiple Marion bosses now yeah Um, Yeah. so it's really cool and from my perspective having like watched the sport since a long time ago and then getting to dip my toes actually in it um it's just grown so much the depth and it's it's really exciting Mm -hmm. really exciting speaking of the calendar we have new dates for a handful of races so the the Spanish races that were all quote-unquote cancelled in the beginning of the season have all have almost all been rescheduled. Um, the Setmana Valenciana is probably one of the most exciting of those races because there's just so few stage races for the women. And even though it's not world tour, it's uh, it's a race that usually attracts a high level of racing. I mean, it was supposed to be on first race of the season, so that'll be really exciting. That's May 6th to the 9th. Um, there's the Immaculate. Nafaroco <laughs> <laughs> and the Navarra Classic, the two Spanish one days. Um, and then as far as the women, the world tour goes, the women's tour is rescheduled to October 4th to the 9th and Chongming Island is October 14th to the 16th. Ronda Van Drenta, October 23rd, which is the same, is the same climb that they did in the last stage of the healthy aging tour and October in the upper Netherlands, like, no. The upper Netherlands. <laughs> the upper- <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> it can't realize. be worse than the other day. Oh man. It can go either which way in October, that's for sure. But I um I'm really liking the block in May in yeah. Spain because it means that say any riders who perhaps have been sick at the start of the season or are looking for extra races or perhaps trying for selection. This, this is a great block um, to sort of show yourself because we'll have like the end of the, the classics in the Ardennes. And then quite often, most of the top tier riders will take a little rest um, at the start of May and then build up again for the rest of the season. And that little break in May is going to be really important, particularly if you've made selection for the Olympics. So um, this will be a great little block. We'll probably see some new names winning some races during that period, which is great, uh, particularly for the young riders um, can show themselves. And then, yeah, we get stuck into the final races before the Olympics. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Setmana Valenciana is raced because it's normally like the first proper race of the season, I guess, like in Europe. And so it's really like, I, I actually raced that two years ago and I've never seen as so many crashes in my entire life and thought I was going to die. So, <laughs> um, but I think it was because everyone's like really nervous, like it's early season and that kind of thing. And there's this like mix of abilities in the peloton. So it'll be interesting to see like if all the, the kind of big guns that normally turn up to it actually do. But I think they will because yeah. there's not any, like, especially with women's tour not being in its normal June slot. Like, yeah, there's very few stage races, like you say, Abby. So, yeah. 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 There's, Might try and pop down there. With all the moving around, there's like this really weird chunk where there's no racing now. Yeah. So, yeah, June's a bit sparse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think. Which, I mean, yeah, going back to what you were just saying, Amy, perhaps the riders will look at racing a bit longer than going into a heavy training block in June before they race again before the Olympics. Um, I do recall in 2016 um, the Australian team doing a, a big block of altitude just after the women's tour, which is normally perfect perfect the women's tour where it is in the calendar but I mean I think it's really smart that they had the the foresight to move it to October we've said this before because um hopefully everyone is vaccinated by then and we can have fans on the street that's like a dream of mine because that race one of the most special things about it for me is just the attention that the riders get you really feel like you're part of something the community really comes out and engages Another cool thing is they've included a time trial, which I think is going to change the whole dynamic. Yeah, it's really going to shift the entire GC um, situation there because usually the GC is not the most exciting race of the women's tour. Every single day is is an exciting day with 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 good finishes, and we usually see a lot of different riders winning stages there. But as far as the GC is concerned, it's year that Kasha won when she just went on a long I think it was 2017 or 2018 she just did like a long range attack and got like three minutes and then nobody could catch her like in the GC was like okay well there's there's no reason to there, there was just no even attempt it felt like to try to get it back from her at that point and then 
um, when Lizzie won in 2019, it was a little bit of a similar, similar situation. She just kind of got away, got some time and then no one could really come close. So the GC has never really been the race that I find the most exciting thing about the women's tour. And so throwing a time trial in there, I mean, especially with riders from the UK, there's a couple British riders who are just incredible at time trialing. I mean, think of Alice Barnes, um, who now has, you know, the sprinting and the time trialing to be able to kind of really play at that race. And then there's riders like Haley Simmons, who are just like a pure time trialist who never would have had a shot at the GC at a race like this. And now, now has a little bit of a glimmer of a shot, which is really interesting. Yep. I'd also add, um, Joss Loudon into that mix as well. Oh yeah. She's really, really right. Yeah. She's impressive. She was impressive at the women's tour at the healthy aging tour. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great to see a rider like that win it, right? Someone you wouldn't normally pick home country, big race. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think it will definitely change the the dynamic. It's a really hard race. Some of those courses are just brutal. Um, And you often see like just that general bunch of women um, that we see racing really strong through the classics, sort of finishing it off in those smaller groups. And it comes down to time bonuses um so you know if lizzie dignan's in the in the lead and she goes into a time trial against any one of those riders like a anna vanderbregen for example i mean she'll make back that time that would be lost in the sprints so yeah looking forward to it all right long range preview yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the last two bits of news is Christine Mayrus is going to represent the women on the UCI Safety Commission, which is, I mean, it should, it's it's actually a little bit upsetting that we even, it's taken this long to have a woman represent the women's, the entire women's peloton on the Safety Commission when the UCI makes rules that affect the women and yet they have no say. But uh, this is going to be a long, an ongoing <laughs> complaint I wouldn't even say complaint. Like this is just ugh. narrative. <laughs> I don't. This is like such an American thing. I don't know if anybody, uh, if either of you know who Rachel Maddow is, but she's a political reporter in the U.S. And every single time she talk, she has to talk about Trump or anything going on there. She sounds so exasperated. Like she's like, I can't believe I have to talk about this. And that's how I feel every time we have to talk about the UCI. It's like. I can't believe we even have to talk about this. But finally, yeah. there is there is representation for the women in the UCI Safety Commission. The CPA was involved in this in some way, but I feel much the same way about the, the CPA as I do the UCI. So we're all fans of the Cyclist Alliance here. <laughs> I was just about to say that. But yeah, the key message to the listeners is there is a woman represented <laughs> The UCI Safety Commission representing. So I think this might be related to the fact that, so the CPA have been representing uh, the women's peloton, the only recognized union by the UCI. Um, And they had a general assembly last Monday uh, in which CPA formally recognized CPA women for the first time. Okay. So maybe that's related to the fact that before now they haven't had representation. And that's all I'm going to say about that. 
I feel like that is a whole nother discussion for a whole podcast, perhaps. Or a whole piece that might come out on cycling um, tips quite soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You bring out your piece, then we'll bring out Gracie <laughs> Elvin from the Women's Cycling yes. Alliance. I think um, that is definitely due and we can discuss that. What's crazy about the CPA and the Women's CPA is that they're affiliated with the UCI. And when you have a riders organization that is like supposed to be working for the benefit of the riders, like shouldn't they not be attached to the governing body that they're like fighting against? <laughs> anyway, we won't it's get like it. Having, <laughs> it's like having my workers union heel yeah. in Belgium <laughs> being employed by. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we've lost Amy <laughs> this has been and my entire week guys <laughs> Amy I really look forward to your piece when it comes out thanks so do I <laughs> <laughs> the last bit of news is also a little, a little bit of a sad uh, note to end on although we do have a chat with Hannah Ludwig the German writer on uh, Canyon's Ram to finish out the episode but there's a little bit of question up in the air about Paris-Roubaix and whether or not it will happen this year or whether or not it will happen in April. Hopefully, if they can't have it in April, they can postpone it. Um, I feel like Paris-Roubaix is such a big race that I would be shocked if they just canceled it outright. But um, because of the new lockdowns in France, there are now rules similar to the Netherlands last year where you had to guarantee that you wouldn't have riders on the side of the road for the race. And the, the ASO just can't guarantee that to the French governing body. So questions about Paris-Roubaix started circulating yesterday. Keep an eye on cyclingtips.com. If anything happens, they'll definitely pu- publish some news. Oh. Uh. It's like (laughs) (laughs) it's like it was so close as well, and it's like the women's Paris Bay has been like dangled and then taken away so many times already. It's just like ah, but yeah, hopefully, yeah, later in the year. I saw a funny tweet that was like, "Man, the cycling gods just really don't want Paris Bay to happen for the women." Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that is what it looks like right now. Maybe it's a sign. No. <laughs> I mean, it, is, it is an ASO run race, and that's another. <laughs> Man, if we Sorry. any podcast that we have to talk about the CPA, the UCI, and the ASO, it would just be a podcast. How many cease and desist letters are we going to get after this? <laughs> we should do when I'm not pregnant is take a shot every time we we bring up the UCI, the CPA, or the ASO. That would be a really great end of year podcast, I think. Yeah. Christmas party, just like. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the year, when we Um, talk about what went wrong throughout the year, then, (laughs) and every time we have to bring them up, we can. That will be a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can also get Phil to to record that one for video and we can put it up on YouTube because I feel like that would be pretty funny. Yeah, it would be. Quality. Just the ranting would get oh, consistently man. more uh, aggressive. <laughs> the thing about the CPA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
That's it. That's our show for today. We still have, I chatted with uh, Hannah Ludwig, who has been racing on Canyon Sram. This is her third season. Um, she's an incredible young talent, really good time trialist, and is was just very pleasant to talk to. We chatted about her living at home, why she chooses to live at home um, in Germany still, her goals for the season, and adventure style racing. So that's you don't have to end the episode with Perry Roubaix maybe being canceled in our drunken <laughs> chats about the CPA that you in the ASO. You can also listen to Hannah. Um, but Lauren, Amy, thank you so much for joining the podcast per usual. And we'll be back next week. Woo! It's Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with me. No problem. Um, how how is Team Cam going so far? Really good. It's it's lovely to be uh, in Girona for Team Camp and to see everybody. Like, it still seems unreal because the situation in Europe is not that good. And yeah, it feels unreal. And like, I feel really blessed that we we have the opportunity to see each other how do you feel kind of with the situation in europe and the racing coming up is it kind of a take it step by step or are you still targeting certain things and kind of just hoping it goes along i so after our, our we talk i have my riders meeting so i then only know which race i'm supposed to do and then yeah i i don't really know what to think about it like last year we saw that races can happen but yeah i don't i don't really have a clear opinion if if it's right to race when everything else is really bad or i also don't know if it's going to be happen like i I really last year I, i was really pretty relaxed and was like okay it's one season but I hope we can have some bike races this year. But I mean, if there's no bike racing, you can just, I don't know what ride your bike from Girona back home to Germany. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I couldn't do that in the moment because at the moment, because everything is closed. Like France is in, in lockdown and you, you're not allowed to travel there. Like we have this, letter because we are driving home by car and we have this letter that allows us to drive because otherwise you are not allowed to drive and also in Germany you can't uh, sleep in a hotel nothing you can just sleep outside and it's a bit cold (laughs) (laughs) maybe not the time of year to set up a hammock and take it yeah What I'm referring to, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is last year when the tour of Bhutan was canceled, you and your mom had driven there and you were like, all right, well, I'm going to ride home, which we did a piece on cycling tips, so I'll put it in the show notes, but I wanted to hear a little bit about that because that's, that's such a cool, like, mindset to have when a race is canceled and and you haven't haven't had a full season, and I think it would be so easy to be really upset. But 
Instead, you just rode a thousand kilometers to get back home. Yeah, it was like, I just saw that I was in good shape and I was looking forward to really every race that was happening. And then when it was cancelled, I thought, okay, now just you need to be more positive than negative. And I thought I, I would just use it as training because the weather at home was not that good. And I did that and it was like really lovely to be with my mom and she helped me so much. And it reminded me of our adventures when I was a junior because we always had crazy trips to bike races. <laughs> because we sometimes we slept in the car before <laughs> a bike race and I just love this time with my mom and it was a reminder of that and it was very good and you got into cycling kind of via one of these adventure style things correct yeah so I was in uh, school in fifth grade and then I started with school because we did this one week charity ride um, to raise money to build schools in Africa and then like, I basically never rode my bike before like normal to, to school or to the supermarket but never that that much never more than 20k and then I just continued I remember after the first charity ride I did that five times I think in the five four following years and after that tour I just said to my parents oh I really want to uh, do that again and then I rode from my home to Switzerland in four days and just did a few adventures and then only three years later someone said yeah you're actually really talented maybe you should do a race and then I did that so if you enjoy the the kind of long distance adventure stuff do you have an opinion on the women having a grand tour it would be lovely but I I think it would be I'm not sure if we should have exactly the same distances and as long as the men's. I sometimes find it, I like the dynamics in the women's peloton when the races are shorter and it's, it's just very interesting to watch. And um, yeah, I think like a shorter version of it. And yeah, but at the same time or before that or after that would be really really nice do you want to do more adventure stuff alongside racing too like the 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 week-long stuff or is your focus like very much in training and racing and and having those long distance rides be more on the side as kind of a fun thing yeah i i sometimes do do them um like as training I sometimes just I really like A to B rides so I sometimes just ride 
from my home to my grandparents and that, that's also yeah a bit less than 200k and stuff like that is just really nice and depending on how the season goes I think I will do some more because it's just it helped me to stay motivated last year because when you don't know what you're actually training for and then I just thought okay I, I enjoy it a bit more there's this whole new push in in cycling to have these adventure style things and you see it with with Rafa is really really into it and Lachlan Morton and um what he does with all of the crazy things that he does like the the race in the UK where you go all the way across the UK um which I feel like I don't know if you have any interest in something like that but it looks pretty it from Knowing what I know about you and knowing what I know about those races, I feel like you'd be really good at it. Yeah, I, I also, when I did this one week, no, actually five days home from France, it, I thought about it for the first time as well and would really like to do something like that. And also, I like how, like, for example, Nachla Morton is, is, just people I think can connect to that a bit more easy than to some races and I like how he's he's making people happy with that and they connect to it and want to try try that as well and do their own adventures and I like that a lot I like that spirit but as far as racing you this will be your third season with Canyon SRAM. Yeah. And is there anything that you've you've learned in the last couple of years that you feel you're going to take into the, the next year with the team and, and really build upon? Is there any kind of um, goals that you have for yourself, even without knowing your racing, that you, you've kind of already set? Yeah, I think I learned so much in the last two or three years with the team uh personal and on the bike to just be more patient and to take things as they come and just also enjoy what you're you're having and to never never forget how lucky you are to actually do what you like to do the most uh for a living and you some I used to ne- not see that so much but now I, I really do and um I I think 2020 just showed that um uh, showed myself that I really love racing bikes and I would be happy about any race and my goal this year is just to enjoy it and like go out and be motivated for every race and to try something yeah which i'm sure with with the team you have is not a hard it's not hard to be motivated because it looks like you guys have so much fun together yeah it's it's really exciting exciting to meet the new teammates and everything it's at first when we met again in team himbo was a bit shy and it's like oh 
I haven't seen them in such a long time, but now we're here together since five days and just feels like like a second home and you can trust on everybody. Yeah, and you guys are staying in a pretty cool location with your own chef and it seems like, I don't know, that the, the team this year has a really good uh, kind of vibe going into the season regardless of of whether it happens as planned yeah it that's that's my feeling as well and it's a really lovely location here with the Podeno family and uh with Ellen our new chef he's 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 great uh he's cooking amazing really the best food ever even better than at home (laughs) and he's also really an inspiring person when you're not with the team uh, you still live at home yeah I do and I saw in the article that Amy did with you that you said that it you love that you can go home after races yeah I do I really do I haven't been home for so long now but I will go home next week, so I'm pretty excited. Is there anything like specifically about going home that you get really, really excited for? Like when you get home, what's the first thing you do? Like, well, no matter where you come from, it the last hour by car is like not on the highway, so it it takes it feels like it takes forever, and. I always hated it as a child, but now I'm just just feeling it, and I I love it. And the first thing is, I think my dogs are coming, or my family's dogs are coming, and I say hi to them, and I say hi to my siblings and my parents. And then I really love to organize my suitcase and my washing first. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, get everything settled before you can kind of do other things yeah I like when it's organized again even when I just stay home for a short time I unpack the suitcase and pack it again so does that mean when you're at races and stuff are you one of those people that unpacks your suitcase in the hotel room I sadly I'm not I'm I should be (laughs) I'm really horrible (laughs) do you just have stuff everywhere when I'm, or do you keep it confined? When I ho- I'm at home, I actually have like a, an order and pack it quite structured. But once you you washed after a training block and then you don't put it in exactly, you and then you, before right, you're searching one block or your knee warmers, then it's just a big mess in, in your suitcase and you close your suitcase so nobody sees it, but it's not a good way. I always I always feel bad when I do that, but I, I keep on doing it since ever since I became <laughs> a professional or since I went to bike races. This was like a a running joke when I was a professional was um which teammate you would room with because like some of them would be so organized and they would unpack we would be somewhere for one night and they would unpack what they would need and put it in the drawer of the hotel. And then there was other roommates that you were like, oh no, because you'd walk into the room and you'd blink and there'd just be stuff everywhere. And you'd be like, how, 
how did you even how'd you even do that <laughs> so we like c- categorize everyone into like the unpacker or like <laughs> the person who's <laughs> so is there anyone on the team that you that you like clash with as a roommate because of the way that they unpack their suitcase when you get into the hotel no actually not so i'm really good friends with ella harris and when we were roommates first she was really a bit messy sometimes like she left everything over the place and i was more organized when i came into the team but i got more messy now and she got more organized and that was really funny because yeah, now she, sometimes she reminds me that I should be less messy, but I never put stuff everywhere. It's just messy in my suitcase, but you, you don't see it from the outside. I'm hiding. Only you know that it's messy. Yeah. <laughs> and the listeners of this podcast. <laughs> yeah.